This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 641. But you never know, right? Your next, your next relationship, your next lead, your next investment partner could come from anywhere. And if you're always thinking of maximizing the time that you're spending through your life, it compounds. It just like money does, right? Everybody has their 401k that you know compounds on interest every year. Time is the same exact way. And if you choose very carefully where you put that first minute, before you know it, you're getting five or 10 minutes out for every minute you spend. What's up, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, here with my co-host, Rob Abasolo. Rob, how's it going today? I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling really good. I'm uh, closing all my rings on my Apple Watch, and that's honestly the the only goal that's a requirement every single day is to close my rings, get my steps in, burn some calories, and hopefully kind of you know get 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 a little bit towards the who I used to be physically that that's what I'm it's my big project for the next 2 or 3 months it's no joke and then it's over then I'm done no, I'm just kidding yeah I'm obviously trying to maintain fitness while you're able to make money is really hard it's so hard cuz you're like oh if I take off 2 hours and I go work out I might lose 10 grand like it's always in your head it's very hard to stay disciplined with that yeah the 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 channel pandemic everything like Everything just really put up, oh, having kids put a pause on anything physical for me for like the last two years. And uh, as someone who's always on camera, I was like, okay, all right, all right, buddy, it's time, it's time to trim you up, pal. So I, I give myself motivational talks in the mirror every day. Well, let's keep at it. You can always send me those gym selfies, man. We'll keep each other accountable. <laughs> That's right. You send me those every so often. <laughs> Today's show is nothing short of incredible. So in today's episode, Rob and I are interviewing my business partner, Christian Bachelter, who I built the one brokerage with, who is also a very prominent real estate investor. Christian has bought 15 homes over the last year through partnerships and by himself. And he shares a lot of the information that helped him to do that. So we get into Christian's buy box, the criteria he looks for, which is very specific. He's also my partner in the one brokerage. So we talk a lot about how he helps with financing of my deals, angles that we see that other people don't know, what you should talk to your real estate broker about, how you could make your agent better. I mean, I could go on and on and on. This was a very, very, very detailed show that does run a little bit longer. But I want to make sure you listen all the way to the end because we share where you guys can get some more information to help make your realtors that you're working with better. Rob, what were some of your favorite parts of the show? You know, I think it was a really nice, uh, it was was nice to kind of hear him talk through his I don't know, the, the linear progression of why he started new companies and really evaluating his time. But we, we spoke a lot really about the return on time, which is really, really big. I think that's a metric that people ignore quite often. We're always chasing the cash on cash or the return, the ROI, right? But the actual time investment and you know, in reinvesting your time so that it starts to compound. Like we, we talk all about that and how that affects his businesses. I thought it was just a really interesting viewpoint. That is a very good point. And that will lead us to today's quick tip, which is if you're working with a realtor and you're not thrilled about the service you're getting, maybe they're good, but they're not great. Maybe they're not even good, but you like them and you're loyal to them. You don't have to be stuck with a bad realtor. And no, I'm not going to tell you to switch and go with me as your realtor because I'm not licensed in every single state. What I am going to tell you is that there are resources out there that you can provide for them that will help them be better. Bigger Pockets itself is the very best one. 
Tell your realtor about this podcast. Get them listening to this. Get them on the website. Many of them would do a much better job for you if they had access to the information that you do. I write books to help realtors. You can find them at biggerpockets.com slash store. Sold and Skill are the first two books that I wrote specifically meant to help the Bigger Pockets community be better realtors and get better service from their realtors. In today's show, Christian talks about how you can send your realtor to us and we will get them a free education to help you close more deals with them. We all get better when we share information. So if you're not thrilled about what you're getting, instead of getting frustrated and yelling at them, just be like, listen, I'm texting you a podcast, listen to this thing, and then get back to me. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, Rent to Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. 
All right, today's show is really good and a little bit long, so I want to get to it right away. Rob, is there anything you want to add before we bring in Christian? No, no, I don't I don't want to make the, the podcast even longer, so I'm going to vamp here for a little bit, and let's get into it. Christian Bachelder, normally I would ask you to introduce yourself to our audience. However, because this is a special occasion, I'm going to take the liberty to do that myself. Let's see how much of this I can get right. Christian Bachelor is a UC Berkeley graduate with an engineering degree, a BJJ purple belt. He owns an all-state insurance company. He is my partner in the One Brokerage, which might be the fastest growing loan company in the country. We just got back from a trip to Michigan where we got invited out to uh, learn from United Wholesale Mortgage because we did so much business with them. We got connections to the CEO and some other people within there that Christian works to get our clients better deals. Uh, let's see what else. You're also a real estate agent that has sold houses. You own short-term rentals in various states. We own one together in Tennessee, and you've got several others you own as well as others that you have with partners. And we have plans on creating an actual lending company where brokers would come to us and we would be the one financing the loans for the investors. So what we would like to do is to create a situation where we go to the investors and we say, we're going to offer a product to real estate investors. And then your local mortgage broker, if it's not us, comes to us and we put a deal together that works for you as an investor. And maybe most importantly, Christian and I shared a very important vision. So about six years ago, when I started the David Green team, I had a vision that I would like to have the real estate agent and the insurance company and the lender and the appraiser and the contractor and all the pieces that you will need under one roof so that you don't have to worry about if the person that you're working with is any good or not. And I met Christian and not only is the guy brilliant, as you guys are going to hear on this podcast, he's got a brain like a computer, but he also had that exact same vision as he's selling houses and he's doing mortgages and he's doing the insurance and he was doing it at a smaller scale. And then like most people, we partnered and you ended up drinking from a fire hose. And I will say you're the only person that did not uh, drown from that fire hose. So you impressed me and we went into business together. And now we are pulling back the curtain for a long time. People have heard about Christian, but didn't really know who he was. And you guys are going to get to know him today. Christian, did I miss anything? Man, I think you cleared it all up. I think, uh, well, that'll be our show. That's it, right? I think that's <laughs> it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we will catch you on the next episode of Bigger Pockets. There we go. Well, it's just such an impressive resume. You know, you've done a lot. You've got a lot of plans here. I guess my question, just to get us started here in the podcast, is like, how the heck did you get here? You know, this is such a, a journey that you take that you that you took to get to this point. Like, what what led you here? Yeah, it's a it's a question I've gotten a lot, and I I would probably argue that there's not a whole lot of chemical engineer, mortgage brokers, real estate insurance brokers out there. Um, but for the one other person that may be in the world, uh, maybe we have some uh, some similarities. But um, after after graduating, as David shared, um, I did attend UC Berkeley. Um, I was in a industry that had no fulfillment for me. I'm a people person. I can't sit behind a, you know, a computer typing in algorithms and code all day. Um, and actually, I, I had a Pretty early on mentor, a um, really good buddy of mine growing up, his dad um, kind of had a similar goal on a smaller scale of kind of building this so-called one-stop shop, right? Um, where, you know, I, I always joke, you know, my, my ultimate goal, if I reach where I'm trying to go, is to never write a referral check again, right? If we could just create a network where people can go to, if you're looking to invest, you don't have to talk to anybody else. Right. We can find the home, finance the home, protect the home with an insurance policy, you know, build your finances, maybe manage the property for you. That's the idea. And then building a place where people can go just for general advice. Right. But to kind of get back to, to the question, um, how I started, 
Um, it was really just seeing every time that I sent a referral to a state farm or a an Allstate or, you know, it, there was never the level of service that I wanted for my client, right? And I, it, similar to how David, you know, David gives a lot of referrals out as well. And that's his name, right? His name is attached to those people that he refers to. And now that I'm on the scale with him, you really feel that, right? If you refer to one person who gives the borrower a bad experience, it's just, it's your name, right? They say, this was your guy. Your guy failed me, right? And, you know, I, I hold myself to a really high standard and it's hard to hold other people accountable to the level that you hold yourself. So um, I, I've gotten really good at squeezing 25 hours out of a day, I guess could be my best way to put it. Um, you know, I, I sleep on average. I think Kiyosaki said this the other day too, sleep about five hours a day. Um, it's, it's definitely a grind, but at the end of the day, if you can build processes and systems around you that allow you to maximize your time, you're going to be able to succeed in building a company. So this is probably a good time to talk about just like transparently what my life is like and what Christian's life is like now that we're partnered together. We worry constantly that we're going to let somebody down. So I mean, we're in this position where people look up to us, Rob, you're now in that same boat and they say, Hey David, can I, can I talk to your CPA? Can I talk to your mortgage broker? Can I talk to your real estate agent? And they're thinking in the back of their mind that that person is David and they, they get to know me. They hear me talking. It's podcasts are weird. I remember the first time I met Brandon Turner, who's actually flying into San Francisco. I'm going to see him tonight. And I'm like, hey, you don't know this, but we're already friends. I already know what coffee you order at Starbucks. I know all this about you. You don't know me, so it's kind of weird. But it, that's one of the cool things of a podcast is you get to know a personality. The downside is we are always worried if a mistake happens and you trusted me. Like that, just, that takes it, it hits you so hard. But because of the level of volume that people uh, are drawn to us about, that's a terrible way of structuring that sense, is because we have this platform and there's so much volume of business we're doing, our employees are going to make more mistakes because they're working with more people. They're going to be busier than somebody else might be who's in a similar situation. We're constantly training them, pushing them, trying to get them to be better, but they're not me. They're not Christian. They're not Rob. They're not going to be quite as good, especially in the beginning. So we always are like crossing our fingers and holding our breath like, oh, please, nothing go wrong. And there's a lot of stress that's involved in that. And part of how Christian and I have structured things is we're not starting a business that we don't do ourselves. Like basically when someone comes to us to get a loan product, these are the products Christian found for me because I'm probably the worst loan client in the world, which he can tell you about later. How do we make this work for David? Because if it'll work for David, it will work for anybody. When you come to me to buy a house, you're getting trained by agents that went through what I tell my buyer's agents to do. Or when I'm selling my house, this is the way I do it. They got trained in the same thing. Same for insurance and for the property management company we'll have at a certain point. My opinion is these are the best ways to run businesses is you did it yourself. You took what you learned and now you help service clients. The downside is when you're when you have so many people you're trying to help and your staff is new, there's always going to be a little bit of hiccups. Maybe we could start off with just getting the, the downside out of the way. I've never really asked you this, Christian. Like, what has your stress level been as you're trying to keep up with the volume of business we're doing and protecting uh, my reputation while you're doing that? Yeah, it's a it's it's a task. I mean, not only you know, when we first started, it was pretty much me, right? I was taking everything onto myself, you know, because I had such a high standard and I didn't want to let you down. I didn't want to let your customers down, your real estate team, you know, all the people that we work with. Um, and the most difficult part of the process was demanding that same level of work ethic and accountability from the people that we hired, 
right? And the people that we join on a team to tell them, hey, you know, you're going to get a level of leads and a level of, of, you know, customer access that you're not going to get anywhere else, right? I mean, people come to us and they, they, they expect you, right? This is the similar struggles that you have with your real estate team. And it was, it was about a, a 16 to 18 month grind, unlike, you know, and this is somebody coming from arguably one of the most competitive majors at one of the most competitive schools. And that 12 to 18 months was like nothing I'd experienced. I mean, that, that I was driving all night mentally just through every recess of my brain to, you know, try to make this thing work. Right. And, and I'm, I'm proud of what we built. It's still a work in progress, but um, even today, that's a huge task to make sure that we're holding, holding up, you know, the name of bigger pockets, the name of you, the name of everything that, that we represent um, in a good air. Yeah. And in, in a year we became one of the top mortgage brokerages in the country. Right. So like it's that's very fast. It'd be like imagine like putting on that. I don't know if the good analogy, but putting on like 50 pounds of pure muscle in one year. It's a strain on the body. It's very difficult to do something like that. So we do take like our job very seriously and we're always trying to do things right. But I think, right, Rob, you had an experience with us where we funded the loan that we bought, the property we bought together. One of the reasons Rob got and I got a really good deal on that property is it sat on the market for a long time. I thought I was going to go buy like four more of those properties after we close. And I don't know if I told you, Rob, everything is more expensive and not as good as that house. Like that thing was oh, a yeah. steal. Yeah, it's got stuff. Yeah, we got a good but deal. Part, part of the reason is that it was sitting on five acres and normal conventional lenders won't fund loans when there's that much land because the concern would be, well, are we buying, are we funding the house or are we funding the land? Because if we have to foreclose on land, we don't know how to sell that. We can sell a property. So they put a limit on how much acreage, which most people would have no idea that that's a requirement. I wouldn't have had that idea if I wouldn't have run into it. Well, having Christian on my side, he can go out there and he can find the lender that will do it. Or sometimes we can twist their arm and say, hey, we're bringing you this many loans. You're going to fund this one for us uh, because you want to keep our business and we can help our clients in that way. The downside is just, it, it's hard when you're in like Rob's position, when the the person you're working with is also working with other clients. And sometimes they're not as experienced or Christian and I would be. So I'm noticing when you start these companies, there's always like p- positives and negatives. You kind of have to take both. But the, the benefit of, I think what the three of us are doing is we're in the game buying these properties ourselves, running into problems. Later in the show, I'll talk about the the 1031 problem that I just ran into when I was with Christian and how he and I worked through that thing. But I would have never known that was even a problem. And now I'm able to come share it with everybody else. So this is the benefit of doing your business with a company that also does stuff themselves. Like if you guys are going to partner with Rob on something, he has tiny homes. He has short-term rentals. He's very, very good at knowing what a person cares about when they go into the home. So if he's helping you with what you're trying to do, it's experience. With Christian, he owns an insurance company. He does tons of, he knows angles other people don't see. He same thing with mortgages. We can solve problems ways that other people can't. And I just, whoever you're working with on your stuff, I'm always encouraging people, try to do it with someone that owns homes. If your agent also owns properties in the area you're buying, that's the one that you want to use. Uh, and that's how we've kind of structured things. I went off on a little bit of a, a trail there, but Christian, do you feel like you are able to provide better service, solve problems, build a better business because you're in the game of real estate yourself? Absolutely. I think, I mean, and this isn't a pitch to just use us, right? I mean, there are mortgage brokers that invest out there in the world, but on on just an average, you know, working with, with a company with the 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 morals and the foresight and the experience that we have, you're not going to get that from a phone ramp at, at Quicken. You're not going to get that from a phone rep at, at better.com, right? I mean, you're, you're going to get that from somebody who preaches, you know, practices what they preach, right? Who, who do it, who invest, who own properties, who 
you know, in my situation, I bought an insurance agency because, you know, frankly, I saw people get screwed with insurance coverages, right? I saw people, I mean, you know, David, after I reviewed your insurance policies, I was like, you're not insured correctly, right? Like, let's get this taken care of, right? We got to get you insured properly. And I mean, that happens so much because the only, the only advertisements you fee for insurance are say 15%, right? And people aren't actually talking about what you're getting. Yeah, there you go. You know, and a lizard's the one telling you, right? Um, But, you know, it's just at the end of the day, if you're, if you're working with somebody, you know, it's like that fiduciary relationship. If you're working with a representative with your finances, that is going to put your best interest first, you're in a good spot. And if they have the experience and the know-how to know what your best interest is, you're in the right spot. And here's a, I'd like to point something about that. And then I'm going to, Rob, I'm going to toss it to you for an example. One thing that I've learned being in the indus- in this business is how that person decides what's in your best interest can be very different than how someone else does. So what I'm saying is if you're going to a discount agent who says, I'll sell your house for 1% or a discount insurance company that says your premium will be this low, that is a way that they believe they're bringing you value. We're the cheapest. We're saving you the most money. Until something happens, or maybe a property management company that says, I'll I'll manage your property for 3% or something, until something goes wrong. And then very quickly, you're like, oh, wait, this was a terrible idea. I can't get anyone on the phone. I'm bouncing around in other countries. They're denying me coverage. I'm going to come out of pocket $12,000 that I don't have. Your listing agent doesn't sell your house for nearly as much money. And then they're always frustrated later. Like I'll tell you guys just a sneak peek. When When we're helping on the David Green team to buy houses for our clients, I purposely trigger listings that I know are by bad brokerages or by listing agents because we will out-negotiate them. They're not going to be as good. And you don't always realize that you're losing out on something uh, when you're just looking for the cheapest thing. So in our world, we typically see like we'll get someone pre-approved for a loan and then some other mortgage broker will say, well, I can do it for less. Uh, Your interest rate will be less. Your closing costs will be like not a lot less, just minimal amounts. And they'll go with that person. And the reason it was less is because their entire staff is in India on a different timetable that is not very incentivized to get your loan closed and it takes them 60 days instead of 14 days and you lose the entire deal because what you thought was you were getting value from a cheaper rate and no one I I know before I got into the business with you Christian I had I had more than most people but it was still a very limited understanding of how the mortgage industry even works like why am I talking to you but the loan's being done with somebody else over here and why why shouldn't I just go to Wells Fargo that's where I bank I could just get my loan there there was all of this nuance that I never understood and I've since become very skeptical when the first way someone says they bring value is they're cheap if that's what you open with Right off the bat, I'm very nervous. And Rob, this was a thing that you and I sort of experienced together in Scottsdale where you found an agent for us. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know, man, that property management seems like, it seems kind of expensive what he's looking for. And you're like, yeah, but the guy does this and this and this, and he knows all these things. And he has, and I'm like, oh, wait, this, yeah, this is incredibly valuable. This is, we're not just getting his management. We're getting his entire list of resources, the people that fix things when they break. We're getting his expertise. We're getting to know about the area. In that sense, now it becomes incredibly cheap. So I wanted to give each of you a minute to maybe give an example of a person you've used or an experience that you've had where you went with the more expensive option, but it either saved or made you much more money. Yeah, I I got this one locked and loaded all the time. I mean, I always talk about on the channel quite a bit is hiring what I call your Airbnb Avengers. And these are the people that are actually running your property when you're doing self-management. So your Airbnb Avengers are going to be like your cleaners, your landscapers, your pest control, your pool maintenance, all that type of stuff. But the lifeblood of your business 
is always going to be your cleaning crew. And so very rarely do I negotiate with my cleaners because if they say that they want a hundred bucks and I say, how about 90? And they're like, okay, I'll take you on as a client. Well, they're going to give you 90% of their effort in my opinion. And so for me, I don't really negotiate. Like I had my cleaners for a long time. They were charging me $70 to clean my tiny house um, for about two years. And then I got the, uh, the dreaded text about a month ago and he's like, Hey man, we're raising rates. I was like, all right, let's talk about it. Why, why, why are you doing that? And I just, I want to understand. And he was like, well, it's been two years and I've never, you know, asked for a, a, an adjustment. So I'd like $85 instead of 70. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, it's significant. But I was like, okay, well, you know, you deserve it because I have 293 reviews on this listing. I have a 4.95, which is really freaking hard with like 300 reviews. And they all talk about how spotless the place is. So it's worth it for me to pay an extra 15 bucks to keep my amazing cleaner because then I know that it's always going to be clean and I'll always have great reviews and thus I'll always be more bookable. So for me, I'm never really skimping out on cleaning when it comes to my short-term rental portfolio. What's what's the cost of a cleaner that doesn't show up and actually clean or doesn't do a good job and your next guest walks into your property and it's messy? What do you think that costs you when they put it? Hundreds to thousands. I mean, one, one bad cleaner costs us thousands of dollars one month and just refunds where they didn't show up or they forgot or they were really bad. We had to obviously let them go, but we had to let them go because, you know, we we're like, look, dude, I we're paying them. They're cheap, but we've just refunded $900 in the last week. They've, they've cost us $900. And if we had just divided that over, you know, a year and just hired someone better, you know, we would have better reviews, you know? So it's, it's always one of those things that we're learning constantly. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking as as Rob's talking here, I'm I'm thinking their cleaning's not worth that extra fifteen dollars that relationship you built was, right? I mean, you're paying fifteen dollars to keep the same people who you have two years of trust in, right? I mean, you have two years of relationship that you built with them and good work, and like you said, one bad cleaning is thousand dollar refund, you know, fifteen hundred dollar refund, however, depending on what your nightly rates are. And I mean, $15 increase, of course, nobody wants to hear it. But man, when you're saving a relationship and trust and time out of your pocket, right? I mean, it's like, I say time out of your pocket, because it's going to, you know, segue a little bit into this, this idea of, you know, your return on time. And I mean, how much are you, would you have to spend to fix a $15 error that you didn't want to pay for? Right? I mean, obviously, with people like us, I mean, we, I'm pretty sure each of us would rather be doing a couple different things rather than uh, trying to keep an Airbnb clean. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of different ways to spend our spend our time, and that relationship is just man. That's and that's the same argument, right? Coming to a mortgage broker, you know, coming to somebody that you trust, coming to an advisor, you know, somebody who understands you. Okay, you're talking about a difference of you know a couple thousand bucks on your closing cost or a you know eighth percent or a quarter percent difference in your rate, but that other lender may not understand what you're trying to do, right? They may hinder your ability to continue to grow your portfolio with the product that they place you into, right? This is a really good example. Last time I did a video with you, David, we were talking about that that loan product that came out the day that you went into escrow on your last property. And if I didn't know what you were trying to do, I wouldn't have even told you to go get it, right? And that completely changed your game plan for that property, right? And if you weren't, obviously we're partners, but if you weren't linked up with somebody who understood your position, that wouldn't have even been an option. You would have had to completely pivot your financing strategy. And I think it saved you like $300,000 on your down payment, something crazy, you know, just because I knew what you were trying to do. And I was actively thinking when I saw that product. So a hundred percent, I mean, the, the cheapest option, you know, we have, we have a saying when we, when we hire people here, do you buy everything that you own at Walmart, right? You could probably get the cheapest option at Walmart, but you don't own everything from Walmart. And, you know, you probably don't want to get the things that you really care about from Walmart, Right. 
Um, and that's, you know, your finances should obviously land in that category, right? Well, I think the the average investor takes the perspective of uh, they're the hub and all of these ancillary companies are spokes that they need to make it happen. I need a lender. I need insurance. I need an agent. I need a property manager. And that isn't inaccurate, but that perspective creates this idea of I have to go tell them all. I have to solve my problem and tell them what I need. Right. So then I need to get a loan. What's the cheapest rate I can get? I need to get a loan. What's the best down payment program you have? And then they spend all their energy trying to figure out how to solve their problem and then go to someone and say, can you fix it? Which isn't bad, but it's much better when you're all sort of in the hub together. Like how Chris and I, we were just together for 10 days. And while we're there, we're brainstorming on the most efficient way to put these things together because he knows what I'm trying to do. He's like, ooh, this would be better in this situation or let's make sure we don't make this. Like those little things he catches save us hours and hours and hours of time and money later. I guess you don't pay money in hours, but you know what I mean? They cost money to do because we are working in it and he knows what my plan is. Those relationships are valuable. Property management companies that give me ideas. Like we were just looking at, at properties in the Smoky Mountains. And when you have a good property manager that says, hey, here's an idea, you could take that sleeper bed from this property you've got and you could move it over into this one. And if you got an extra two people sleeping here, it goes from 10 to 12. That's probably going to be an extra $25,000 in revenue a year. Ideas like that, that I wouldn't have naturally thought of right away. Maybe four years later, I think of it. But in the moment, their experience is helping me a ton. And it's hard to see that when you're just thinking like, I got to fix all my problems and what's the cheapest option. That's one of the reasons that we talk about being relationship-based because not only do they make you money and save you time, but they let you stay focused on the things that are more productive for building a business. And that's one of the things I want to ask you, Christian. You, you've you mentioned that you know I talk a lot about velocity of money, this concept that put your money out in the world, have it create equity, have it create cash flow, pull it back in, and then send it out again. And you're constantly sending money out in the world to add more value and then come back to you. And that's one of the ways that you build wealth. But you talk about the velocity of time. So would you mind sharing your philosophy? Because frankly, you wouldn't be able to do all the stuff that we do together, run a mortgage company, run an insurance company, buy your own investment properties, train the guys. We're working on creating a program for loan officers that want to learn how to do loans where they can actually come to us and take a, a, a course where they will teach them, here's how you be a loan officer, similar to real estate agents. How do you put all this stuff together? What are you doing with your time to make that possible? Yeah, that's a really good question. And even following up on Rob's first question as well, this is gonna, kind of a fusion answer. Um, but I've, I've heard you, you know, we've, we've hosted kind of talks, you know, we did one down Long Beach on that velocity time. And I just couldn't help but think when I was sitting there hearing you talk, I mean, you know, people say time is money all the time, but really the equivalent, you know, when somebody's thinking of investing strategies and investing mindsets, everybody gets broken, you know, just, just completely fed up with, with running analysis and, you know, you get into analysis paralysis just on money, right? Like what's your ROI? What's the down payment requirements? Just like you're saying, David, Oh, I need the minimum down and the highest return. Right. But nobody's thinking, man, in the time that it took you and this paralysis that you had to identify these properties, run numbers, and you had to run 100 numbers to buy one property, you know, if you pivoted a little bit, right, and put some processes in place that allowed you to maybe buy three instead, your, your return would be three times as much. And it's, it's that transition from thinking of where are my dollars going to where my time's going? And this is really the foundation of how I believe I arrived where I am now and why we continue to grow. And a lot of people would look at what I'm doing and say, there's no way there's enough hours in the day. But if every hour that I spend is 
being compounded in the similar avenue of how David talks about velocity of money, every dollar you put in investment property, whether you're burring it or whether you're long-term renting it, you know, you're, you're hopefully getting multiple returns on that dollar, right? That's how I think of time. So I'll give a couple examples. When I first started out, the first example was I was a realtor, right? I was referring people over to a lender and I was referring people over to insurance agent. I started doing all three. So now every minute that I was spending with a client is now technically three minutes. I'm spending a minute with them as their insurance advisor, their real estate advisor, and their lending advisor, right? That's That was the idea. I'm, I'm maximizing every minute of time that I'm spending with the customers. And the customers felt that. They're like, oh my God, I've never had a mortgage broker who could advise me on my insurance policy, right? And that would lead to me getting referrals and getting people who, you know, a real, a real estate agent's never going to get an insurance referral, but I did, right? Because I was maximizing the time I spent and even transitioning that into now with how we're building our company, you know, David and I, as he shared earlier, we bought a property together. So every minute that I've spent with David building our, our business relationship and our personal relationship has now evolved into a, a partner, a, a real estate investing partner relationship where, you know, I didn't know when we first started a mortgage company that we would own property together. But every minute that we spent building this company was also building an investing relationship. Right. So my minutes have been compounded with David. And I told her I'd give her a little bit of a shout out. But one of my she just started as a client, Karen, Karen Skrovnik, David, Who you, know you met because she was a, a client of the David Green team. 100 percent loans with us. Right. Absolutely. She came. She was a client of David's on real estate side. We did her loan. And funny enough, I own a number of, rent, of rental properties with her now. And every minute that I spent with her, I didn't know, but I was spending it with an investment partner, building a mindset together and, and analyzing properties together and I, realizing that we were on the same page with a lot of our investment strategies. And eventually that led to a really good partnership forming. You know, I, I can say there's a million situations. I mean, David and Rob, you guys are, are co-hosts of this podcast. You guys bought a house together. You're compounding the time that you spend with each other. Right. So just in every avenue of life. And I know this is hyper specific to me, but the people who are listening, who are W2, you know, when you go out, you know, on, on the weekends, right, you go to the beach, you go to the bar, you go out with your friends like those could be future partners that you don't even know yet. Right. I mean, they're, they're, it could be people that you buy your next property with, you know, when you're at your family reunion, you know, whether you're a salesman or you're W2 and you're looking to invest your family members could be your partners and you could be compounding that time that obviously don't make everything about work, right? You need your family time, but you never know, right? Your next, your next relationship, your next lead, your next investment partner could come from anywhere. And if you're always thinking of maximizing the time that you're spending through your life, it compounds it just like money does, right? Everybody has their 401k that, you know, compounds on interest every year. Time is the same exact way. And if you choose very carefully where you put that first minute, before you know it, you're getting five or 10 minutes out for every minute you spend. That's really interesting. So I'm kind of curious, do you do you think of like any decision you make or any business decision you make, do you ever think about the value of your time? Like, do you actually assign a dollar amount and thus, you know, use that to sort of kind of guide how you move forward or if you empower someone else to sort of take the load off your plate or whatever? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I wouldn't say I've ever necessarily tied it to a dollar amount, although that's really good advice. I should probably start doing that. But I just think it, it's just it. There's just like I said, there's just so many opportunities where this could. I mean, it could be walking your dog at the park, right? I mean, when I bought when I bought my mattress that I sleep on, I refinanced the guy who sold me my mattress. Like you never know, right? I mean, there's people everywhere that you can strike up a conversation with. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, realtors who do it part time and loan officers who do it part time. They know because they're in a sales position that every minute you don't know where your next lead's coming from. But if you're really living with that, and I think that's great advice, Rob, even tying it to a dollar amount, like, hey, man, how much 
if if you had to get taken away from what you're doing, I mean, I can even imagine with you or David. I mean, imagine you guys couldn't work for two weeks. How much money are you losing, right? Imagine your phone died, you had no reception, and you couldn't leave your house. I mean, the the amount of dollars that you would lose, and that's a short period of time. That's a week or two, right? But the amount of impact and compounding on your time that you guys have in your networks and your spheres would be massively valuable, right? I mean, it'd be thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars probably if you guys couldn't work for a month, right? And not only for you, but David runs a team, right? David's team would lose money. David's businesses, Rob, your short-term rentals, your management companies, all that. I mean, how much would be lost there because of the way that you guys have compounded your time? I just think it's such a valuable mindset instead of always making it about the dollar, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, run that little exercise, man. I mean, I think think it's very eye-opening because that was for me as I start to scale and really kind of run with all of the different businesses that are floating around in the ether right now, it's tough because I have a tendency of wanting to do everything. But you know, like you said, it's like I'm trying to squeeze 25 hours out of a day. And it's really, really, really tough. And so, you know, about six to 12 months ago, I really started calculating what my actual hourly rate just so that I know. And effectively, you know, it's really eye opening to see that because then I'd look at everything else that I do and everything else that I get cheap about and I don't want to hire people for, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm losing (laughs) thousands of dollars by just like even thinking about this for two days. You know what I mean? And so it definitely helps me, helps guide me and empower me to delegate and develop teams a little bit more for sure. Yeah. And it pushes that priority to the people that you do delegate towards. I mean, David and I have both have experiences with, you know, we hired the wrong person, right? And it took more time that we invested into them that didn't have a reward, Right. So, I mean, especially if you're teaching that mindset with people that you're partnering with and your employees or whoever it is and, you know, the listeners lives that you're you're using this with. If you're also imparting that onto the people that you're building with, now you're compounding two people's time. Right. And by you, whether it's Rob, you using leverage or David and I hiring an employee and having them, you know, do a job that we would do otherwise. If they're also compounding their time, I mean, you go four or five people deep in this mindset and you got five people doing the job of 50, right? I mean, that's really how you build like a team culture. You can build this mentality that, man, time is so valuable that everybody's now getting the maximum value from it. I think it would be valuable if we gave some practical examples of how we work this into our life. Like your example of, I went to buy a mattress and I started a conversation, so I refinanced the guy's house. I got a free mattress and I made money by going to buy something. I had the same experience for when I bought my car, I ended up selling the guy a house. And so that paid for my car and then some, I got a free car out of it. If you, if you have that perspective everywhere you go, if you're talking to people about, Hey, do you know anyone that might want to be selling a house? Do you know anyone who's got a hoarder house or something? Everybody remembers that weirdo in their life that has just crazy stuff in their home and their house is falling apart. And when you ask those questions, they might get answers. So do you guys mind giving some, they don't have to be actual examples. They could be hypothetical, but something that a listener who's hearing this concept could walk away from after hearing this and say, I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, I can start. I think, you know, everybody's thinking of side hustles nowadays, right? It seems like everybody that we pre-approve drives for Uber or DoorDashes or what. It's funny. I mean, it it sounds like a joke, but like everybody that we pre-approve has got multiple sources of income on their tax returns. So I think of it from like the analytical, like the mortgage broker side of things, right? Like when I see people give me their tax returns that have five or six different avenues of income. Both of you guys are like this, right, Rob? You That's got, me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got your courses, yeah. you got your real estate, you got yeah. businesses that you're running, you got the podcast, right? I mean, 
really the the easiest way for me to say that is that building multiple streams of income, maximizing the time you spend in each one, right? I mean, something like, and it doesn't have to be driving for Uber. That's the, the you know, dumbed down bare bones version, but it could be something as simple as that, right? It could be something as simple as, hey, I, I want to, you know, if you're good at something, right? I mean, something that David and I are working on, or as he alluded to, is creating this course, right? Like if you're good at something, share it with people, right? Try to build, try to fill a niche, try to fill, you know, your time with something that can you know, benefit other people. And maybe you end up building a company around it, right? I mean, I don't think David or Rob, either of you guys probably predicted you'd be in the spots that you're in, but because you were building a team, surrounding yourself with people and maximizing your time, you guys really built something, right? Um, that's that's the most bare bones version of it that I can think of. Right. And you seem like you've you've gone down this, this, uh, this I was going to say rabbit hole, but it's way more the well, it kind of is because you're going down the intricacies, the intricacies of building businesses and you're very successful at this and you have several businesses that are producing, you know, income for you. What was that moment, I guess, in all of this since, you know, you you have businesses and teams, what was the moment you decided to actually start investing in more, like in more real estate or more short-term rentals? Like, why did you do that? versus continuing to, you know, kind of pour into those businesses? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, funny enough, I bought my first house, I think, within the last 50 months, it's been about two years. Um, and I could have purchased way sooner than that. Absolutely. Um, I, I set a goal for myself where I wanted my businesses to be not not self running, but be be a method of income that would would be my my safety net, right? It would be I can I can now invest with confidence, knowing that if something did go wrong, I've built enough aside from real estate to withstand any windfalls that come, right? So I probably started investing a little bit late. I mean, I, of course, now everybody goes back and says, I wish I bought more, but kind of knowing that, that my businesses were my, my first pursuit. That's where I felt like I got the biggest bang for my buck. And that allowed me to now grow at the level that I wanted. So I guess to answer your question, I didn't start buying until I could buy at the speed and the level to which I really wanted to, right? I hadn't gotten there yet. And until I could, I mean, I purchased 15 homes in the last year, right? I mean, that's that's more than one a month, right? And I, I wouldn't it's have been able to do that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that unless I built a really strong foundation that had enough cash flow coming in, had enough ability of or had enough time where I had the ability to go dedicate time and resources to buying these properties because everyone's an analysis. Everyone's, you know, a partner that I partnered with or a property management company. I mean, you guys know the drill with property managers. You got to find boots yeah. on the ground and, you know, everything that David writes in his long-term rent investing book. Um, and I started only once I felt I had the confidence to do that the way that I wanted to. I wanted to invest on my own terms. Um, so that, that was a little bit of when I made the switch. This is an awesome segue into how you take your compounding of time. I often talk about that same concept, but I use the word synergy. I always always say you want to get more than one benefit out of a single action, right? So like you and I were at dinner with our agent uh, like two nights ago, or maybe it was last night. It was two nights ago. Two nights ago. And uh, we were talking to the agent and his brother is sort of the property manager in the company. So while this is a dinner where we're meeting to talk about the deals that I was looking at and get to know the agent, we're also like, freak the property manager's right there. Let's get his opinion on things. Let's ask questions. And then he t tells us, yeah, these are the properties that tend to do the best. Now we work that into the conversation with the brother who does the sales. 
And we're like, hey, how would you find that property? And in one dinner, which we had to do anyways, because people have to eat, we built a relationship. We got to know about what properties perform better as a property manager. We got to learn how the the um, buyer's agent could find those. I honestly think, this is I see this all the time, the asking the right questions, we make them better. They walked away like, we didn't even think about that. These guys are really smart. They, they have the right ideas. That's synergy. That's the velocity of your time. That's improving the return you get on the time that you're spending. Now, as you just mentioned, buying properties is a time suck. I was, I was just thinking on the way to the office to record this today. I have to fly to Tennessee to learn the area. And then even if I'm not flying to look at individual homes, I have to review the house, pull it up on a map, ask what the numbers are, run the calculation on those numbers, try to get a feel for what could be wrong with this property that I'm not seeing. And that's all before you even go into escrow. Now you're looking at inspection reports and surveys and getting insurance quotes and having to talk to contractors about fixing things and having to order furniture and trying to figure out how you're going to get that delivered. It like one property is not just you're not just putting money into it. You're putting a lot of time and energy to make this thing actually fruitful. Having a specific buy box that you know, these are the numbers that I want to hit. These are the properties I'm looking for can be immensely powerful with saving you the time when you're analyzing a ton of stuff and making sure that the work you do after after going into escrow is not wasted. It's actually going to turn into a return. Can you share us, Christian, how you came up with your numbers that have created your buy box and then what they are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just to, to kind of lay the foundation, I do invest in short-term rentals. Um, that's actually the entirety of my portfolio. Um, so this is specifically catered towards people obviously trying to follow suit in that regard. Um, but I've developed what I kind of call the 15%, the, the golden ratio, so to speak. That's what I call it. Um, but basically, I want to see the gross revenue projections for the property. Um, and people are going to say, where do you get those, right? I wouldn't say live and die by Airbnb, AirDNA. I wouldn't say live and die by, I think Rabu is a new one that's out now. Um, Bigger Pockets has a short-term rental calculator um, for those who aren't using it. Check out Bigger Pockets. You can use a, a rentalizer for free. Pretty sweet. Um, but I wouldn't say live and die by those, but especially once you form a partnership, whether it's a property manager or somebody with some experience in the area, if you guys are looking in Tennessee and Florida and Virginia, this is something that I could help with. If you're looking at other areas, network, you know, bigger pockets is great, all the all the resources that they provide. But really getting some hands-on data of not just you know, AirDNA is a good estimate, but is there a comparable to my property that did this, right? Did X percent this year. Um, and I like that to be 15% of my purchase price. So if a house is a million dollars, I want to see it gross 150,000 a year. Now to be, to be mindful, that does include my property maintenance. That does include, you know, it's not my net, right? A property is not going to net 15%. That would be a home run go buy right now, right? But that's before cleaning fees. That's before taxes, all that. But I like to see a property that, you know, just to add, let, let's pull a specific example. One of my properties in Tennessee, I bought it for six fifty. It did right around a hundred thousand last year. That's right around that fifteen percent ratio, right? Um, it's a little bit off, but it's really close. And the reason why I chose fifteen is that twelve is where I actually want it to be. So I'm actually building in a three percent safety net. I'm building in a buffer, right? If it's, if I hit my twelve, it's a successful purchase in my mind. Can you define what you mean by twelve? Yeah. So if if it's a million dollars. I'm shooting for it to rent for 150,000. And just so everybody understands, that's 15% of a million, right? If it rents for 120,000, that's 12%. So I missed my mark by 30 grand and I'm still where I'm comfortable being, 
So you're you're willing to accept a property that will rent for 12% of what you pay for it, but you make your target 15% in case you miss it by a little bit. Okay. And the reason why I don't make the goal 12 is that then I hit nine and I'm not happy with it, right? So I, I always build in and be careful guys with projections, with estimates, you know, I, I, I write 30 proper, 30 contracts to put one in escrow, right? I mean, our, our realtor out in Tennessee, David can, uh, can attest to this, right? We've, we put him through the grinder a little bit, but, um, you know, stick to your numbers guys. And I, I have another one as well. So it either has to fit that box. And if it does, it has to be in an area where I have no concern over the short-term rental regulations. Um, it has to be in an area that I can do it. So no HOAs. I don't really invest in HOAs unless it's, um, uh, what are called condo tells. This is similar to what I think you bought in uh, Hawaii, David, where they're protected short-term rentals. Um, so I would be, feel confident investing in there, but then you have your HOA fee, right? Um, so that's one buy box, 15% in an area where I have confidence in the future projections, or I have an alternative. If it's potentially going to pivot away from short-term rental uh, allowance regulations-wise from the state government, it has to be able to pivot to a long-term rental and still cash flow. So I'll give an example. I purchased a 300, what was it? $350,000 um, single family in Virginia Beach in, in the state of Virginia. Um, lower property values, it's something that, you know, I wasn't shooting for the stars on them. However, I ran the numbers and my mortgage all in, I want to say it was about 1700 bucks. Um, the rental estimates was 2200. That's on a long-term 12-month lease, right? Um, and that was actually on the appraiser. So that was based on comps in the area. Now it rents for, I think four to 5,000 a month. We're expecting it'll do about 60,000 this year. So it's hitting my numbers that I like, but it'll transition well because I don't have a hundred percent confidence that this, that the city of uh, Virginia beach will be short-term rental friendly for the foreseeable future. So I made that investment knowing that my exit strategy is a really good long-term rental hold. That's my second buy box. Those are the only two conditions where I'll buy a property. Um, I've, I've said it to be super simple. I've given that to my realtors and I've given them a free for all, write it if it meets these numbers. Um, and I work with two or three agents that I have some confidence in and not much more. <laughs> wow. That's actually pretty simple. So a lot of people are usually like, okay, it's got to be uh, in this market and it's got to have this bed bath count and it's got to have this view or this amenity. Yours are str strictly just on the numbers. Like you, as long as you can... Project it to be a fifteen percent gross. Uh, I guess twelve to fifteen percent, and then yeah. the um, your second criteria here uh, that it can work for a long term rental. Then it doesn't really matter. So your buy box is effectively national, and it is. And that's one thing. So for instance, in Florida, insurance is high in Florida, right? They got the hurricanes, they got the wind, they got the water damage. So that's something where if it's in Florida, I do want to see it really hitting that 15, right? I don't want to get something that in that 12 to 15 range because I know that insurance is going to be a higher cost of owning. So you can pivot a little bit based on certain areas, especially if somebody, you know, kind of settles in to an area, you'll be able to project those expenses a little bit more um, as opposed to Tennessee. So I own a number of cabins in the Smoky Mountains. Um, this is where David and I were last week, actually. Um, and some of them have like indoor pools, some of them have really good views, right? Some of them are on lots that I believe will continue to appreciate as the city of, you know, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, that whole area continue to be developed and improved and tourists keep staying high there. So I may be open to accepting a 13 or a 14% ROI there, not ROI, but this ratio, right? Because I know there's a lot of other com compensating factors that help that 
strike confidence in me as an investor, right? I like the pool. Maybe we can use, David and I are considering using one of them as like a corporate retreat, right? So that may be a benefit where we can take our team there as a reward for like high production or, you know, whatever the case is, that could be a really cool experience. So even if the properties don't meet the perfect numbers, I set them that way because I'm, I'm, I'm setting a limit that if we underperform, I'm still okay with it. Right. And that disqualifies 90% of properties because most of them don't do that. But my realtors understand the ones that do meet this, we're going to write competitive offers, we're going to be aggressive, and we're going to get them in contract. Right. And, and a realtor, David can speak to this. Keeping it simple for a realtor keep, keeps the relationship healthy. Right. If I tell you that I'm going to buy this property, David, there's no worse feeling than an investor telling you, I will buy this property if you put it in front of me. You put it in front of them and they say, oh, well, yeah. Let me, let me like talk the to the wife. Let me think about it. You know, that, right? I mean, it's very clear. And the, the realtors that we work with are, you know, and that's once again, return on time, right? So I'm not spending time doing all these analysis. Here's what I like about what you're describing. And I, it hit me when you were talking, like, this is what's different about working with us than with other people. It's not a huge difference, but it brings clarity. What I think most people are doing is they're saying, I want to hit this ROI. I want to be in this neighborhood. I want the ARV to be this much more than what I paid. They have all these criteria and it's good to have criteria. And they're if they, maybe they have seven criteria just like that. I want to be 10% under market value. I want, you know, blah, blah, blah. Very rarely does a property hit all seven. And so what happens is you just spin your wheels, you spend time, you don't get anything, you never get a reward, you never get into the fun of this, you never learn from swinging the bat. And so you just get stuck and you get discouraged. But what you're describing is here is step one. I want it to be at 12 to 15% gross yearly revenue of what I'm buying it for. Here's step two. I would like it to be in one of these areas because I know I can run it out. Here's step three. I'd like to have a backup plan so the floor plan itself matters because I have to be able to rent this thing out if it doesn't work as a short-term rental. I would also like for there to be some kind of upside. Now, when I see, ooh, this property is different, there's like, I'm looking at one right now in an area where there's not any more new construction. The, what it, it works with the numbers, but over the next five years, it's going to crush it with the numbers because they can't build anything more, okay? What you're saying is, hey, I may not hit my 15% number, but if I have something like what I just described, I will go down to 12 or maybe yeah, I would even go down to 10, right? Like there's this balancing act that occurs in your head when you see the whole big picture. So you start with solid criteria and then you look at the pros and the cons and you weigh them out and the decisions become much less complicated, sort of become simple. And then you learn from it and you take that into the next thing. That is in my head, the right way to be analyzing properties. It's not letting a spreadsheet do all the work. There's an element of creativity of vision, right? Like a lot of the properties that we're looking at, I looked at one, the one I just described, what I liked about it was it had six bedrooms and it had a game room. It had plenty of places to put in sleeper beds to put enough people in the house. And I can take one of the bedrooms and make it into a theater room. It's perfectly set up for that, okay? That is going to now add value to the property. People are more likely to book it. And it's not like it was a three-bedroom house where I lost a bedroom. I can only do this because it's six bedrooms. When the realtor is bringing me the properties, they don't see that. They just know, hey, this one hits the numbers that you said. So I want to take that deal and individually look at how I would maximize the value of the property. And on that one particularly, because there's they're not building them anymore up there, and I have the theater room thing, and there's a few other things that I can do to add value to the property, 
I'm going after it. Even if that one comes out at a 9% return instead of the 12 or the 15, it's going to go up over time. And what, what you're getting into is ways that people can analyze deals without spending their entire day and getting discouraged. Like, can you share how you came up with these criteria that you operate by? Yeah, I came up with it with, uh, buying my first property with no mindset, with no analysis, with no, I, I basically said, I want a property to cash flows. Like most people get an Airbnb. I'd like to make some money. Right. Um, then I started seeing, oh, this one did pretty well. And I'm seeing on average, it seems like they're doing 12 to 15%. I like that. Right. That helps me cash flow. That allows me to be profitable. That allows me to be able to, you know, restabilize it after a big expense, a roof, an AC, um, you know, in one of my properties in Tennessee, I had the well pump go out. I live in California. I don't know what a well pump is. <laughs> you know, there's no wells out here unless you're outside of the main areas, right? But that was that was an expense that I had to pivot from, right? But because my numbers were hitting my projections and where I eventually ended up modeling this mindset after, it was very easy to cover, right? I had, it was 80, 8,500 bucks, I think it cost to completely redo the well pump. And it was in the account and we were able to make up for it in one month of rent, right? So it, I can, I wish I could say I brainstormed this and was just the perfect analytical tool before my first purchase. But this was really built from my successes and my failures on doing it and seeing the ones that hit the numbers that I liked seeing. Which is why we're always telling people you got to take action. You can't just wait till you have all the answers. Yeah, you got to kind of just figure it out as you go for sure. I mean pretty much my philosophies on, you know, what, what pencils out and what does it just comes from really averaging out how things have, you know, really worked out for me in the past couple of years. So it's the same thing, Christian, for me, it's like, I don't have this perfect set system that I developed in the, in the lab or anything like that. Really, it's just an average or, you know, the median of like what all my other properties perform at. Right. And so for me, like you, you talk about your 15% gross. For me, just a 20% cash on cash. I keep it real simple. And as long as it kind of hits that metric, then for the most part, I'm pretty happy with it. And I agree. I don't really take air DNA, you know, to heart, not, nor do I take Rabu to heart. It's really just a, like a, a gut check to be like, okay, this is the median aggregate that air DNA is putting together. Now I need to go in and actually research the calendars of my competition. Absolutely. And so, if AirDNA and Rabu and like Mashvise are all the rooms, if they all kind of put out figures that get me to a 20%, then I'm like, okay, that's a good starting point. Now I need to actually go and examine my competition. I'll go in and do what I call like a market audit, where basically I'll go and just look at everyone in that market and see overall, does this market tend to really level up on design or on amenities or on views? And I really try to match up, you know, like see where I match up against them or where the properties that I'm buying will match up against that demographic. And if I feel like I can outperform 90% of the market, because I'm always aiming for top 10% of my market, if I, can, if I feel like I can perform 90% of the market, then I already know my cash on cash will likely be more than that 20%. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a new, new a acronym here that I call LILS, to, or no, LALS. Little art, little science, you know, when we're getting, when we're getting <laughs> to it. Go, but, like uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it really, I wish it could be super objective because I teach this every day, obviously, yeah. to my students. But it really is just leaning on your experiences and the more you have and the more you can lock up and, you know, add to your portfolio, the easier it is to sort of use that as anecdotal 
evidence on how you're going to perform in the future. The not to be a dead horse, but the only thing that I mean, you don't you don't even think about when you bought your first one, but you're actually building a tool to better analyze future properties. So getting back into that velocity of time thing, the time that you spent buying those three properties is saving you exponentially more time buying the fourth one now. Right. And you didn't even plan for that. Right. It's like, oh, now I have a portfolio to create my own. And then you get to where they're just bringing you a deal that you didn't even ask for. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what? It, look at that. Right. They just bring it right to you. You don't even have to go look for it. Yeah. I think, Rob, the only thing stopping private capital, hedge funds, BlackRock from buying every single property is the art component. If it was purely objective, we would all be getting pushed out of it, right? Like that's what's beautiful about the real estate we're buying is it takes time to look at it. And even though that can be frustrating, that's what's protecting you from having some computer algorithm just step in and buy every single house. Yeah, that's uh, that's very true. I was joking with uh, one of my partners yesterday and I was like, it's only a matter of time before BlackRock calls and they're like, hey, we were wrong. We don't know how to do this. <laughs> can you please artfully choose our houses for us? It happened to Zillow, right? Some of those iBuyer programs that were just scooping them all up, thinking that thinking a computer program could beat the actual investor. And that's the advantage that the bigger pockets listener or the mom and pop investor has is they see angles like that that are not going to show up in the MLS listing. Like a lot of the properties Chris and I are looking at are literally in the MLS listed as a one bedroom house. So the property he owns that we stayed in is listed as a one bedroom house with 3000 square feet. And the reason is because of regulations regarding septic size, and they're only allowed to market at a certain bedrooms if the septic tank is a certain size. But he's got a 3,000 square foot house, right? So how many big names are just going to skip right over there because it doesn't show up in their search at all? Whereas when we look at this, we're like, holy cow, you, if, like, you can sleep a lot more people in here. So I'm always grateful that there's errors and inaccuracy in the way that real estate works because it gives you an opportunity to hit stuff like that. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means? Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. 
With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Christian, you mentioned um, helping me on a deal where you found creative financing that dropped my down payment from like 25% to 12%. Um, you and I run into problems constantly. Well, really, I run into the problem and I hand it to you and you have to go fix it. I'm like, here's the round peg. There's a the square hole. What are you going to do? And then <laughs> you get to figure out how we're going to solve that. And you do an so amazing job. I have like, the fun job. Gotcha. Okay. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> can, that's exa- can confirm. You guys always pull it off for sure. There you go. I appreciate that. But And that's one of the things that uh, I want to talk to you about art. Can you share some of the creative ways that you get loans to close? Some maybe the advantage you have with the one brokerage and then loan programs that a person might not know about that we can help to get them to close on a deal with better terms or or just close at all that if they were just going to a retail bank and saying what's your loan product, they would have no idea this exists. Yeah, really, really good question. Um I think what really differentiates us is the time that I put in with I don't want to call it the ownership, but that's basically what it is, the, the ownership of the, the lending entities. And I mean, I sit down with CEOs. David and I were just at, you know, kind of a, a private broker, you know, event for UWM, who's one of the biggest, na- you know, lenders in the nation, right? And we were invited and we got, you know, some FaceTime to give direct feedback into programs that they have, right? So when you're going to regular lenders, you know, they're not you know, your loan officer at Wells Fargo probably isn't sitting down with with the head of Wells Fargo, right? I mean, we have a really unique opportunity. And this is why it's 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 so important also for people to respect these programs. And, you know, if we get you a loan, we want you to analyze the property correctly, because if we end up having all these default rates and all these things, you know, it may not be a product that we can offer much longer, right? So we underwrite these things and work with the lenders to really build these products because of not only our experience, right? I want the product for me and David and, you know, everybody, Rob and, you know, we've done loans for all you guys, but I want this product to then go, you know, maybe trial run and then really give it out to people and say, hey, this is an opportunity for you guys to buy where you couldn't otherwise. You know, our DSCR product is a really good example of that. You know, there's not a whole lot of lenders who will allow you to substitute in short-term rental income on a lot of loans. That's a big one, right? Especially people who are, 
you know, not completely new to short-term rentals because a lot of the products want to see some experience there. But, you know, you go to a regular conventional lender and they're not going to care what AirDNA says. You know, they're going to say, there's no way you're going to rent, you know, Rob, I mean, that place that you guys bought in Arizona, no lender would ever buy that you're renting it for what you guys are, right? I mean, it's just not reasonable with conventional mindsets. Um, but I mean, that's a really good one. We have We have some fun bridge products. That's one where if you are able, this is a market that's going to swing you know, if, if you are able to start getting things under market now, um, which hasn't been possible the last two years, but we're starting to see, you know, some price drops, some more competitive offers being able to be accepted. Um, you know, we can lend on the appraised value as opposed to the purchase price, right? So we can say, you know, this is the deal that we discussed on the, the past video for David. Um, if you guys haven't seen that, check that one out because we go into depth on this product. But David was able to shave off 10% of his down payment because the property over appraised by so much. Right. And we were able to treat that appraised value as the value of the property instead of the uh, instead of the purchase price. I'm jealous, man. That is that's crazy. That's such a <laughs> it's a sweet one. Can you do that for me, too? If you find it, find a property that will under, you know, that, that you're under buying. Right. I mean, that's absolutely obviously that's the, you know, the the unicorn property. Right. That hasn't been available for the last three years. But well, I actually think the, the Scottsdale property, the second appraisal on that came in about one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars more than we paid for it. That was a nice little surprise. I found out, Rob, side note, I haven't told you this, when I was out there looking at additional property, we bought that thing for less than what the land would cost if we just bought a lot that size. Whoa, really? Yeah. Let's double it and sell it. (laughs) Yeah. Here's here's something to think about. What I notice a lot of clients do, and I want to get your opinion on this, Christian, is they say, hey, can you get me a 12% down payment loan? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, then they make another phone call and they ask someone else, can you get me a 12% down, right? You don't get that on every single deal. You work and you buy houses and then you this falls into the situation where like, oh, I can maximize your deal this way. Other deals, you maximize it a different way. So one of the things that we do since the David Green team and the One Brokerage works together and the One Brokerage gets to hear all of the cool like strategies that we use when we're working with the David Green team and vice versa is we will say, instead of, hey, I'll give you 900,000 for your house, we say, I'll give you eight eight seventy five for your house. And they say, okay, deal. And we say, actually, let's make it 900 with 25,000 in closing costs. And then we take the 25,000 in closing costs and buy your rate down. Like what well, on a normal six and a half percent interest rate on a $900,000 house, can you spitball what you think that might buy the rate down? Buy to? down to the fives. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So now you're in the fives instead of six and a half. So that's significantly cheaper than anybody else would have been able to pay, even though you paid $25,000 over. But because your rate's in the fives, that extra 25 you're borrowing is very minimal. It's It doesn't make your payment go up hardly at all, right? So now that deal works for you where it didn't work for you at or anyone at six and a half percent. And what everyone else was doing was trying to bring the seller down on their price. Well, we actually gave them more, but got you the house for cheaper. There's a lot of strategies that will, when you're working with the right person, they will recommend to you, what if you do this? What if you do this? It's not always going to be the same thing. And I think that's a mistake people make is they heard about, oh, can you do this down payment or can you get this rate? And they're the ones asking the questions rather than saying, here's my goal. What do you think you could do to help me? Yeah. And that's something that we we pitch a lot. I mean, I think probably... 50, 50% at least of my properties that I bought during a really hot market were actually purchased with substantial seller credit. I mean, David, the deal that we got, we had a massive amount of seller credit, right? On that, yeah. on the property in Tennessee. And if that's a, that's a great point. This is where, you know, partnering us up with a realtor, we're going to coach them on that, right? So if you say, oh, my realtor doesn't know how to do that, or I don't know how to do that. How do I word that? Like, just give us their contact, 
right? I mean, we're a brokerage that, once again, practices what we preach. We know how these things go, especially if you're working on David's team. You know, this is something that with the market kind of, you know, we're starting to see price drops. This is something that's even more attainable now, right? I mean, you can get the seller to pay for your rate buy down. So, you know, all of you guys who are monitoring the market and, oh my God, rates are crazy. Have the seller buy down your rate, right? You're getting the rate from a month and a half ago and that wouldn't be available now if the seller didn't credit you that money. Um, absolutely a tactic in a rising interest rate environment to kind of reset yourself prior to the last few rate increases. Which is why we get so excited when we see, it's not that we're happy rates are going up, right? Everyone's a shock to everyone, nobody likes it. But the effect of that is the market softens. Other buyers, your competition, that everyone forgets they're competing with other buyers, they always think they're competing with the seller or they're competing with their uncle that tells them not to buy real estate. No, you are competing with all the other people that want that asset. They get hesitant. And it opens up this window. That's why I went and put eight properties under contract in like the, in a couple of weeks here, because I'm seeing, oh, this thing is in a great area, great thing. It cash flows really well. Everything works, but everybody else is afraid. They're holding their breath and saying, well, is everything going to collapse? And I don't want to jump in too soon. But these, this softening gives us the opportunity. That's what I'm trying to get at here, to use these techniques, to use these strategies, right? For the last six years, the only strategy has been write a higher offer. Yeah, <laughs> That's it. You pay more than the other buyers are paying, or you don't get the house. And waive your appraisal contingency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now we're keeping appraisal contingency. We're keeping inspections. We're keeping loan contingencies. We're shopping around to find you better loans. We're looking for ways to get your rate lower. Or a lot of the times we get people 15% down on investment property instead of 20% down. There's things like that that we can bring into play. And I think you have to be grateful that the market is softening because if you saw some of the tricks that we're using to maximize what we're doing, I think a lot of people would be really uh, would be really pleased. And more importantly, buyers are happy about what they're, what they're paying to get the house. No one's been happy for what they had to pay in the last six years. And they've been happy afterwards, right? A year later, you're like, well, this is great. I wish I'd bought more. But at the time, no one felt good about it. This is finally a period of time where you can actually feel good about what you're buying. Yeah. I feel pretty good about the one we got, Rob. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was going to say, like, we got a $75,000 seller credit on that. And I think there, there's obviously certain rules on how much of a seller credit you can get with a property and everything like that. And we were like, man, 75,000 might be, we might be maxing this out. So we had to creatively, you know, shuffle things around. I think we may, I think we might've bought down our rate. That's but, what we um, did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got that. We got full on, we got it fully furnished, which was, eh, you know, halfway beneficial, halfway, halfway a bit of a, of a torturous journey, getting rid of a lot of the little, the granny knickknacks, but it did end up, I think it's a net positive on that one, but we negotiated pretty heavily on that one. And then we played hardball. And we got it. And um, yeah, then we got the appraisal back and, you know, we came in 150. And like I told you, the land is worth more than the land with a 6,000 square foot house on it. And the furniture thing you mentioned, we could do this all day because this is so fun. Let us know in the comments in YouTube uh, if you guys would like to hear more of these type of shows where we talk about our deals. But in, you didn't love the furniture on the Scottsdale property, which is fair because right. it wasn't the best. Yeah. But we were also able to buy furniture relatively easy because it's Scottsdale. They have a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And some of the properties that Christian and I are buying in different areas or that I'm buying in different areas, getting furniture is a pain in the butt because of supply chain oh, issues. Dude. So being Especially able to- 
a hundred percent, right? Being able to get that negotiated into the deal not only saves you a ton of money because furniture is very expensive, but it also saves you three or four months of waiting to get it furnished before you could book it, which could turn into five to 10 grand a month, right? Like there's a lot of ways in that I'm seeing this is awesome for me. Could the market go down more? Sure. Will it go down more on some properties? Probably so. Does that mean that these are bad buys? No. And not at all. Like it's going to go back up again at some point too. And if it's making a lot of money and I'm getting into the best areas, I, I think it's a mistake to try to time a market because markets are all so different. Like what you're seeing in Scottsdale uh, in the luxury, really expensive space, that's slowing down a little bit. What you're seeing in Southern California, Los Angeles in the first time home buyer space has not stopped at all. It's just as hot as it's ever been. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, Christian, is there any last words you'd like to provide before we move on to the next segment of the show when it comes to advice for a real estate investor who is trying to calculate like I've got the lender and the agent and all these strategies they talk about. And I read Brandon Turner's book on no and low money down real estate. And I, I really like what Rob's doing. Like there's so many things going around. Where do they start? And when they walk into that position, what is it they should be looking for? You're saying with their first ever investment property? Or maybe like just a newer person who wants to start buying or maybe wants to buy more. They've got two or three and they're like, these are going good. I want to scale. Like give them an idea of where they should go, who they should start with and what they should be looking for. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I'd say our company, right? But uh, aside from just who you're talking to, the mindset is is really, I believe we're headed for a place in this country where if you don't own property in the next three to five years, I don't think you ever will. I think it's real estate's going to become such a hot asset and it's going to be so hard to get competing with, you know, investors and corporations, everything. I, I really think, you know, and this isn't fear tactic. I'm not trying to preach that. So please don't, you know, misrepresent, but, um, you know, just not be afraid to jump in. You know, I mean, you can always, people are talking rates right now. America's awesome with our finance strategy because you can refinance, right? I mean, your six and a half percent rate that you have right now is not the rate that you're going to have for set for 30 years, right? I mean, you refinance the moment the rates get low again. And I mean, you know, historically speaking, a 6% interest rate is not like this catastrophic interest rate. You know, it's a no, fairly healthy no, market really rate isn't. on a mortgage. It's not, you know, and I mean, granted prices are high right now, but you know, you pay down some equity if you, and obviously buy what you can afford, um, I'm not telling people to throw every last dollar they have into real estate, but if you can comfortably afford, don't get caught up, you know, create a buy box. If you want to copy mine, awesome. If you want to copy Rob's awesome, but create something that you're, you're, you're comfortable with. If it hits these numbers, link up with an investor. If you're buying short-term rentals, please talk to a short-term rental agent, right? Don't go to the first time home buyer down payment assistance person and say, I'm looking to buy an investment property. Surround yourself with invest investment minded individuals, ourselves as a lender, a short term rental, you know, agent out in whatever area you're looking at. And if you're surrounding yourself with people who can correctly advise you, you're going to end up in a better situation. It's just surround yourself with that mindset. Yeah, I wasn't saying you should just come to us, but when if they do come to us or they go somewhere else, what questions should they be asking to get the ball rolling in the right direction? Like Dave was saying, don't come and say you got David 12 percent down. Let's get it right but really working with us and and we we do consultation calls with every single person that reaches out to us it's 15 to 20 minutes of us understanding the roadmap that you're trying to achieve towards success um i don't know many agencies that do that like that but that's really how we have it built our first conversations should be come prepared have us have a, have a outline of what you're trying to accomplish and allow us to build the path for you but when we build that path you can't be afraid to walk the path 
right? I could lay all the, the concrete brick in front of you that I want. If you're not ready to take that first step, that meeting was in vain. I like that. The Here's what my goals are. Here's what I want to do. Here's the capital I have. Here's my concerns. The person you're working with should be able to paint a, a decently clear picture of several options, right? If their answer to you is, I don't know what to tell you. What do you want? You want to get pre-approved? <laughs> yeah, it's not the right person, right? Yeah. If your agent okay. says, so do you want a three-bedroom or a four-bedroom search? Not the right person, right? You're looking for that person that goes, oh, have you considered this? Or what we're finding in this market is this is the case. And I can help you with all of these different things. I, I think that's a much better approach to take, especially if you're trying to get into the market at a time where there's a little bit more uncertainty. Absolutely. Yeah, an agent, an agent, a lender, even an insurance agent that really understands what you're trying to accomplish is invaluable in this in this time right now in this economic climate that we're in. It's it's vital to your success. Yeah, for sure. So you said um, you're not trying to be a alarmist or anything like that. So do you think we should not make the thumbnail like all red and then like we give you like red sort of demon eyes with like flames behind you and big title Buy right now over <laughs> yeah let's clarify that because i know in the comments we have something coming he said in three to five years you won't be able to buy real estate they're trying to get you to buy there's a crash coming I, we're not saying in every market in the entire country you'll never be able to own a home correct okay that is true. i think that was that was a bit of an aggressive statement but what you're describing is there are changes happening that we see that the average person doesn't where institutional capital is a bit of a Godzilla. It's coming in and smashing people and paying way more money than anyone realizes. And if some of those companies buy Airbnb, buy VRBO, then they go buy all the properties. All of a sudden, you put yours up there at Airbnb and it shows up as number 97 and the 96 above it is all the ones they own. It becomes very, very difficult for the mom and pop investor to compete. And I think in the hottest markets where they feel the safest, like the best areas with the best weather, the best travel, the best amenities, they will go in there and bully people out. Absolutely, I do agree with that. But real estate is very local. So like if you're living in Virginia Beach where Christian bought his first property, I don't think that this is going to happen there, right? That's not the same scenario. But I do think That's over time, real estate is becoming an asset class like a stock. It used to be so much labor to own real estate that the big companies didn't do it. They just traded in easier things to own like stocks. As they are learning how to make this more automated, it is turning much more into something like a security. And when that happens, it's a lot harder to buy it because your competition ramps up. So just to be clear, I'm, I've got a lot of properties I've been looking at that I'm slow playing, okay? The, the one I described earlier is listed at 1.5. It's dropped down to 1.45 and then 1.35. It's sitting at 1.25. I'm gonna write an offer at a million fifty, okay? I don't expect I'm going to get that property, but it's been on the market for like, a hundred days. This isn't me going after a property, but on the market for two days, right? However, that million fifty is a jab I throw and I look to see what are they going to respond with? What if they counter me at 1.125? Well, now they've come down pretty significant from their one. That's a, that's a more of a motivated person, right? And if it stays on the market, it's, it's moving in my direction. So in some scenarios, yes, take it slow, see what you can get. And then in other scenarios, depending on the property, you're going to have to move quickly. I'd all right, Christian, we're going to move on to the next segment of the show. It is the deal deep dive. In this segment of the show, we are going to dive deep into one particular deal that you have done. All right, this is the part of the show where we dive deep into one specific deal with our guests. Remember, you too can do more deals with the help of Bigger Pockets tools and resources. All right, Christian, do you have a property in mind? I do. 
All right. Question number one. What kind of property is this? It is a single family home in uh, Bradenton, Florida with an additional casita, two bed, one bath, um, additional dwelling unit. So like an ADU or a granny unit. It's an ADU, correct. And uh, how did you find it? Uh, found it through one of my local short-term uh, short-term rental um, agents out there who uh, brought it up to us. It was on market, wasn't some special off-market deal. Um, so yeah, standard MLS. All right. And how much did you pay for it? Uh, an original contract was for eight thirty. We dropped it to eight eighteen. Was our? Oh, I'm sorry. No, it was purchased for eight thirty. It appraised for eight eighteen. So I actually overpaid slightly for this house. And uh, how did you negotiate the house? Um, negotiated, used a, a standard agent. Um, it was when the market was very, very hot. I purchased it in 2021. Um, so it wasn't a whole lot of negotiating power there. Uh, but we did negotiate, I believe, four or $5,000 just for minor repairs. Um, but it was a pretty clean cut deal. Okay. How'd you fund it? Uh, funded it 15% down um, DSCR loan, actually our, our kind of flagship product that we use, um, utilizing the expected rental income that it was going to produce um, as a short-term rental. And uh, what did you do with it? Yeah, so uh, obviously a little bit of foreshadowing there, but are using am using it as a short term rental. This one is unique because it's in it's in Bradenton, Florida, which is a kind of a vacation destination. It's about forty five minutes to an hour south of Tampa on the Gulf Coast of Florida, um, and the numbers have been even higher than we expected. Um, in six months, it did ninety seven thousand dollars in gross rent. Um, we anticipated it would do about one fifty to one sixty, so it's on track for one eighty. So it's by far and away outproducing. The reason being, we're actually running it as two separate listings. You can either rent it out as a full six bedroom or the main house is a four and the casita is a two. So in the days where the main house is not rented, we just rent the back unit um, and it's a shared backyard. So we have it kind of segmented where they could be two separate rentals. Um, so really maximizing the uh, the occupancy rate on it um, and keeping it booked. You know, Even if it's a couple day filler, we just fill in the two bedroom casita there. And what was the outcome? Uh, outcome awesome short-term rental opportunity um if we sold it as an airbnb right now it's probably already appreciated by one hundred and fifty thousand. we got a realtor reach out to us to try to sell it and listing price was going to be one million five uh million fifty thousand i should say um so very satisfied with how that's gone we're gonna we're gonna hold it for a for a short-term rental for the foreseeable future but it's doing very well for us we're very excited about it and uh what lessons did you learn from this deal this was my first kind of bigger purchase. Um, everything prior to this time had been 700000 and below. So this was kind of my dipping my toes in the water of, a, of higher value properties. Um, and it kind of made me realize if you have multiple units, you know, this is the David Green special, right? Um, if you got multiple units, if you got, you know, heads and beds, added rental capacity, um, I knew it would have some benefits, but I did not forecast the 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 level of the the, the benefit that it would have with you know, being able to fill up the days that were unrented instead of having it go four or five days unoccupied, you know, maybe you fill up three of those with, you know, 150, 200 bucks a night for the two bedroom. And it really, really made a difference for us. It's it's going to do $30,000 more than we anticipated when we first reviewed it. All right. In this deal, who was the hero on your team? The hero on my team was for sure my partner. I shouted out earlier. This is one that I purchased with Karen. Um, and we kind of have a partnership where she, she manages for me. So we self-manage, but she's taken on the the, the majority of it, um, everything from scheduling the cleaners to go in to communicating with clients. We do have a perfect five-star rating on that, on that property on Airbnb, which we're, we're excited about. Um, she got super host status. Um, and, uh, yeah, just that, that property's had a lot of really good reviews. It was remodeled. It did come furnished, which was a big one. Um, and it was an active Airbnb. I forgot to add that it was already a existing, um, existing running Airbnb. Um, but yeah, Karen was absolutely, uh, couldn't have done that one without her. 
All right, that's going to wrap up our deal deep dive. We're going to head over to the last segment of the show. It is the world famous Famous Four. All right, first question for you, Christian. What is your favorite real estate book? I'm curious to hear you answer this because I know you don't read. No, I don't read. There you go. Showing my dirty secrets. Um, Well, I I think if I came onto a podcast hosted by my business partner and I didn't shout out one of his books, I think uh, the partnership would uh, would be concluded at that point. Um, So I'm going to shout out any book written by David Green. Um, I do like the Burr one. Um, The Burr method has blown up to a to a level that I don't think anybody who originally thought about it intended. Um, But yeah, Burr book just taught principles and concepts along. You know that partnered with the long distance real estate investing. You know those are those are morals and ideas that we teach in our company and that we do ourselves and. You know, I think the influence that those books had on the market is uh, is invaluable. I think it was really, really awesome books. Good answer. Good answer. Favorite business book? Um, I will say I have read this one. Uh, Never Split the Difference, Chris Voss. Um, I think just, uh, you know, seeing, seeing th- things from the side of a, uh, a hostess negotiator, a hostage negotiator, if you guys haven't read that book, absolutely recommend it. It just teaches you, teaches you how to negotiate in, a, in an avenue that I didn't, I didn't think a whole lot before. <laughs> Um, but negotiating for people's lives obviously is a different level than, than negotiating for real estate, but a lot of really good principles in that one. Great. And uh, when you're not off uh, buying 15 short-term rentals in a year, what are some of your hobbies? Um, I love snowboarding. Had a pretty bad accident a couple years back that I actually haven't snowboarded since, but I um, absolutely love snowboarding. And I'm one of the best five foot six basketball players that are out there. No, I'm kidding. But um, I, I love playing basketball. I've played it since I was very young, and I'm I'm a I'm a five foot six, five foot seven with shoes on white guy. So you can imagine the uh, the challenges that I had to go through. <laughs> but absolutely love my basketball time. Uh, if you want to, if the books that Christian mentioned, if you want to buy those or any of the other bigger pockets books, there is an entire library of stuff that will really help you get your investing career off the ground. You can find those at biggerpockets.com/store. That's where you can buy any of the books that we have for sale. My last question for you, what in your opinion sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Gosh, I would just say action. Um, You know, not having, obviously it's easy to say, you know, act and don't have fear, but, um, you know, really just maximizing opportunity, you know, like David said earlier, when a market downturns or when things slow down, people like David and myself get really excited, right? We're not scared of the rates. We're not scared of the of, of the added risk of the market right now, um, we see this as a buying opportunity, right? We see this as an opportunity to get things that you couldn't get last year. Um, so I think when when the world presents yourself with presents you with lemons, you know, try to get them squeezed. You know, make some lemonade out of them, and you know, make make the best out of the you know unfortunate situation of our government printing eighty percent of the money supply. Right? Let's try to at least benefit a little bit from it. And lastly, here, tell us where people can find out more about you. This is an interesting one. Um, I do not have any social media. Um, so we have we have our website, theonebrokerage.com. It can be spelled out O-N-E or the number one um, if you're looking to get in contact with the team. Um, I do have a Bigger Pockets account. Um, so if you just type in Bigger Pockets Chris, and put Christian Batchelder, you'll see my account. How often do you check that, Christian? I check it actually pretty frequently. So I'm, I'm fairly active on Bigger Pockets. Um, if you guys direct message me, I will respond. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't have a an Instagram or a Twitter to shout out, but I prefer to keep it that way. Yeah, and if you uh, find yourself on our website, theonebrokerage.com, navigate to the About Us tab. Um, you'll see my personal contact there, um, my email to reach out, anything you need, advice, guidance, um, or to get pre-approved could definitely help you out. All right, Rob, what do people want to find out more about you? They can find me on YouTube over at Robbilt, R-O-B-U-I-L-T. And then uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Robbilt2 and TikTok at Robbilto. 
Now, let me just take a moment to say that someone was smart enough to... So I, I, I captured Rob Bilto as a handle on TikTok because someone took Rob Bilt and uh, someone then took Rob Bilto on Instagram So and they're scamming people. <laughs> so this is very confusing, but Rob Bilt on Instagram, not Rob Bilto, and then Rob Bilto on TikTok. And I'm like, man... This is my life now. This is what we have to preface for everybody. So just make sure you're not sending crypto to me or David. Okay. Uh, and with that, what about you, David? I'm David Green 24. And on YouTube, I'm David Green Real Estate. So please go give me a follow. I still have way less followers than Brandon Turner, who's not even on the <laughs> podcast. And he lets me know every single time he sees me. Um, and then just to hammer this point home, do not send me or any of these guys money on social media. When Christian and I were having lunch, I got a call from a cop friend of mine who's not the most tech savvy, a little bit older, and he got scammed. He sent a bunch of money to someone thinking he was sending it to me. It's freaking heartbreaking. Oh, I'm doing everything I can to get the blue check mark on Instagram so that this won't work. Instagram's denied me about 20 times that I've asked for it. I'm still trying to make that happen, but please tell everyone you know, they may have our pictures, they may have the, it looks just like our Instagram, it's not us. They, it's easy to copy those and create a fake account. The screen name will be a little different. They'll put an underscore, a period, they'll add like an extra E in green, or then maybe take one of the E's and put three, just something where you wouldn't recognize it right off the bat. But please be careful, because it's the worst feeling ever when somebody that we know gets taken advantage of because they trusted us. Stay safe, peeps. All right, Christian, last question. If people would like to follow up with you and learn more about creative financing strategies, what it's like to work with, with us as a mortgage broker, they want to know more about the short-term rentals you're buying. They want to hear more about your buy box. They like what they heard and they want more. What do you recommend they do? Um, yeah, if you navigate to our website, theonebrokerage.com, uh, top right, there's an option for all our mastermind series. Um, feel free to enroll in them. There's a little RSVP button. Um, those will be opportunities for us to share both what we're doing personally, as well as to offer you guys some advice and guidance on potentially pursuing your next investment as well. And I really like what you said about if they have a realtor who doesn't know what we're talking about, introduce them to you, right? Like those those realtors can go to these webinars. It's free. We will teach about these loan products. Now your realtor has more information than they would have had. They've learned how to make a buy box for you. Like That's really what we're trying to do is help the whole overall experience be better because realtors aren't really that great. Most loan officers are saying... I'm the cheapest. I'm the cheapest. They're not understanding what investors are trying to do. And we're trying to correct that. So that's a great idea. Yeah. We'll make your realtors better free of charge. <laughs> we we want to work with good realtors, guys. All right, Rob, anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, no. Thanks, Christian, man. It's always, always nice to hear from you. I can vouch for, for one brokerage and, and everything. You guys have been really great. And, uh, you know, give me a run for my money if you acquired 15 short-term rentals last year. So good on you. Good on you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome being here. Um, and yeah, hopefully we do it again soon. All right, guys, great job. I'll get us out of here. This is David Green for Rob, our favorite client, Abba Solo, signing out. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. 
Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.